0: Hello, everybody. I'm Katie Knight and welcome back to Can You Put Me On Guest List. Just before we start, I want to give you some real quick information about my next Talk Tank webinar over on Mixtank TV. Following our first live webinars with Facebook and Bandcamp, Coming up on March 24th, I will be chatting with Jen Marseille from Spotify, all about how to improve your chances of being featured on Spotify's playlist, what to consider when making a streaming edit, how to grow a fan base on Spotify, how Spotify should fit into a wider release strategy, practical advice about how to get the most out of Spotify and so much more. The webinar is free and all you have to do is sign up over on mixtank.tv. This week, I am joined by Ali Shirazinia, also known as Stubfire. Ali is just one of those people that has seen so much of the world, met so many interesting people and has so many stories to share. So I was really, really excited to have him on the show. We talk about the beginning of his career, how the last year has been for him, taking up, you know, a bit of sourdough baking, his favourite podcasts, meeting people like Madonna or Anthony Bourdain, his great passion for food, and so much more. A chat that I wish could have gone on for, for so much longer. If you do enjoy this podcast, why not share it with a friend? And if you want more, hit the subscribe button to receive the next shows directly to your phone. This is Dubfire on Can You Put Me On Guest List. Let's start off by talking about this crazy, crazy year that we've all had. Did you find it hard at the beginning to find things to do? Because obviously, like, your schedule was always super, super busy. And then obviously from flying every weekend, having gigs every weekend, and then all of a sudden everything's stopping. At the beginning, were you like, I don't really know what to do with myself? Or did you find things to keep yourself busy?
1: I think initially I wasn't sure, and I was kind of scrambling because I've been on the road. I think doing an average of 130 shows a year for 30 years—must be 25 plus Um, years—and so when everything just ground to a halt, it was really difficult to like figure out what to do with all this time I had. You know, because DJs are always complaining about to everyone, friends, loved ones, whatever. Family, um, you know, we we never have enough time to do all the things we want to do. You know, I can't tell you how many times I fantasized about sitting on my sofa and watching like a documentary on a Sunday after, on a sun rainy Sunday afternoon or something like that. I was like, oh my god, this this is best <laughs> best day ever.
0: I was literally just about to say to you that I watched an interview that you did with Exceed, and it was like one of them fast fight them um, quick fire questions, and they got one of the questions, the last one was. Um, a dream come true or what, or your biggest dream or something like that and your answer was to get more sleep and to sit on my sofa yeah. on a Sunday and watch TV <laughs> I was like well your dream came true, true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> dream came true in a, in a you know be careful what you wish for I literally guess, uh,
0: and that wasn't um, that long before the pandemic either it was literally a few months before I think
1: yeah I think people you know in my generation who've been doing this a long time being on that tre- treadmill you know going you know however many miles per hour like never being able to get off um we we were used to it it's like it's like uh, it was uh, it's uh, I guess a good metaphor is like when someone's released from prison and they've been there so long and when the guards are like you're free to go and they're like <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, now they, what? they go you know what and then uh, and then they kind of want to retreat back into what they yeah. know what, what you know their 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 comfort zone and so um Yeah, we were just really, you know, thrust out of our comfort zones and weren't sure what to do with our time initially. But then, you know, um, you just, you realize that you can't uh, affect the situation by getting upset or having stress and anxiety. Obviously, we all had to make some major adjustments, um, you know, to be able to get through it financially and psychologically and mentally, you know. Um, and I think a lot of people are still struggling and it didn't help that, you know, I had friends, everybody had friends who were going down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole or, or, um, everything became a a hot button, like political debate and issue. There was a lot of division. I had to purge a few, uh, people from my life, friends and colleagues, um, (gasps) Maybe some people felt that way about me. I'm quite easygoing, liberal, whatever, and, and they couldn't understand why I was that way. Um, but you know, I took comfort in in certain things that um, I'd always wanted to to accomplish, like learning how to make sourdough bread. I mean, there were like New York Times articles written about um, like people who took up sourdough baking, uh, and and. and, and All of a sudden, like it was a craze and and it was the pandemic that kind of um, stimulated everyone's curiosity. I wouldn't say I'm really good at them, but um, uh, I I can make a mean, I I can make an an artisanal loaf. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Delicious.
0: Are are there any changes or habits that you've adopted during this time that you want to carry on once things I I feel weird saying the word normalized because I don't know what normal is going to be like after but when things kind of do go back into kind of what it was like before is there anything that you would like to carry on doing what you have started doing during this time
1: yeah I mean I obviously I, I had more time to make a ton of music um I've made a lot of dance music and a lot of like more listening Music, the listening stuff, I'm still working on, and, and I've got to find some um, vocalists. Uh, but like the dance stuff, I'm kind of holding back. Um, and sorry, the question was, have I taken up? No, the question <laughs> I go isn't... off on tangents. <laughs> oh, am I gonna? Am I gonna? Key, am I gonna carry? Yeah, uh, there like any habits that you've
0: adopted or anything, like changes you've made in your lifestyle that you want to carry, like you want to carry on once things go back to normal again.
1: Um, I think before, I mean, first and foremost, before I wasn't sure if I could even take like three weeks off, you know, when your business manager, when you have a business manager and they tell you one day could be at any point in your career. When you have a business manager, you have a meeting and they tell you point blank, how much it costs you every month to be you, like what your expenses are, like to be Dubfire, it costs you this much. So if you don't work and you go on holiday and you, so you're not earning anything that month you're you're down that amount mm-hmm. that it costs you to be you just your baseline kind of expenses and staff and all this other stuff plus the holiday expenses on top of that or something like that. So that always stayed with me. I was like fuck I can't really take <laughs> take any I can't time do off. <laughs> yeah, but if if it's one thing this pandemic kind of uh, taught me is I was and and I talk. I have this conversation with with a lot of colleagues. Um, everybody was living beyond their means. You know, people were spending all the money they were earning. Um, some were very smart. Many weren't. Um, no, not many people had like a nest egg. Um, and then others realized, like me, others realized that like I was living beyond my means, and I had to make some some changes, some lifestyle changes um, that were necessary even prior to the pandemic and, you know, taking now the idea of taking like three months off to record an album, you know, fully focused on that project is not a far-fetched idea anymore. It's something that I can plan for. It's something I know I can do because we've been, you know, out of work for a year. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, obviously... Yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously that, and then all my extracurricular hobbies, uh, which are the making pizza and and, and <laughs> bread and stuff. I find something quite, um, you know, it's like meditation. There's something um, meditative about having a starter, which is a living organism. So mm-hmm. it's like, so like Sasha DJ Sasha. Yeah. Uh, his his sourdough starter's name is Bob. Like he actually has a name. What? What? So, Sasha, Sorry, what, yeah. what?
0: so he has a name.
1: So, so you know, you talk to, uh. you're talking to friends when this first happened, and we were trying to make sense of it all. We were seeking the comfort of of our, our friends, you know, yeah. just having daily conversations and Zoom chats and and Facetime chats. And um, you know, I, I was checking in with Sasha, and, and I realized that uh, he loves and had been really into sourdough baking even prior to the pandemic. And so he's, he actually, he invited me into the this sourdough, group. sourdough WhatsApp group <laughs> with some other people. Yeah. Oh, um,
0: that's amazing. which is really
1: funny. So he's, he's quite, you know, he's always been a big foodie. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea he was into, into baking. Um, but he was into it so much that he actually gave his sourdough starter <laughs> A name. Um, But, you know, it's like it's a living thing that you have to feed every day. So it's like having a child or a pet in your case. Yeah, as you can hear (laughs) Uh,
0: right now. (laughs) Yeah. Have you given your sourdough
1: a name yet? No, I was, funny thing that I bring that up because I was thinking about it uh, earlier this morning. I just woke up with this thought in my head of, because I just resuscitated it. It was in my fridge for the last six months. You put it in your fridge with a little bit of water, and it slows down the um, the yeast uh, mm-hmm. activity. and uh, And then you have to bring it back out, uh, you know, at room temperature, and feed it its first meal in six months, and kind of get it, you know, going again. and uh, And I was thinking, I never gave I never gave it a name six months ago. I better think, I think of a good name. you
0: Should name. I think you need to give yeah. it a name? I don't yeah, cuz then we... it
1: becomes more personal, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Then it can be like a little Tamagotchi. Exactly. It's going to be yeah. like
1: going to feel Yeah, it. so so for anybody that's going to be watching uh, this podcast, uh, please submit <laughs> names to you and and you can relay them to me.
0: I absolutely will. That's so <laughs> good. So this podcast is all about kind of talking about people's journeys, where they started out, and stories and memories that they've made along the way. So I would like to start off by asking um, where your love for music came from.
1: To be honest with you, I, have, I, I think about this question a lot. I, I don't really remember. Uh, the only thing I can say that maybe uh, was a trigger for me wanting to pursue like a career in the arts is my dad writes poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's published a few books and I recall from an early age family gatherings, um, there was a lot of poetry readings, uh, at the end of the meal, um, you know, for hours, they would go on for hours, different people, um, you know my dad's friends. They would they would come over. There would there would be an audience, obviously, and then there would be other people that write poetry, and everybody would kind of talk and, and recite poetry. And then there was always one friend uh, that was a musician that would bring like a traditional Persian instrument, and um, they would play because uh, you know it 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 enhances the effect of, of of the poetry reading when you have like this beautiful classical Persian music kind of playing, you know, right alongside it. So. I think that was, I, I really always gravitated towards that, like the sound of that, you know, the, the the relaxed voices, the pauses, the music that was kind of, you know, the interplay between the music and the voices and things like that. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, uh, you would hear, you know, poppy Persian music, but I never gravitated towards that. I didn't like it. Thought it was cheesy, even at an early age. I always preferred like the more classical pieces. Um, then, when I came to the states, um, I think the other big catalyst for me uh, in looking back is I didn't really fit in. I wasn't like a popular kid. I was like sort of an introvert, and so a lot of my friends were also introverts. We, you know, introverts gravitate towards one another, obviously. We all create social groups and little cliques. Um, and most of the people in my clique were like, what was called back then, it's probably a highly inappropriate word, <laughs> they were called art fags. Oh. Like That's what the popular, the, the popular kids would call me and my friends art oh, fags nice. because we loved photography, poetry, music. We loved the arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they thought we dressed gay like because we would wear you know thrift clothes and and um and you know we had the new wave look or the goth look or whatever like that so we weren't like we didn't fit the the mold um and we weren't the popular kids in school so that's what we were called and and um and most of those friends that I had um because they were they had an artistic streak they were really into uh, like alternative music And the more I went down that rabbit hole, the more, uh, I discovered. And for me, music was always like, and still is this day, like an escape. So I think, you know, initially, while the classical Persian music and instrumentation was pleasing, uh, to my ears, um, later on, it became more about escaping from my daily reality. And music was that escape, and and remains that escape to this day.
0: So, at what point, or when, and or where did you start learning to DJ and to make music, or was there somebody that taught you?
1: Nobody taught me. I was even before I got into dance music. I was really into hip hop, like all the early hip hop. I was a break dancer. I I had a break dance crew. (laughs) I was a breakdancer. Yeah,
0: I did not know yeah. that, and I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had like you know, a little foldable piece of cardboard that we carry around everywhere. Somebody else carried the boombox. We all had these like hoodies that um, I can't remember what the, there was a there was a name for them, and I can't remember. It's like parka hoodie, whatever that you could that that was made of this material that you could kind of slide very easily um, on the cardboard. When, when you did the windmill and all that other stuff, you know. Uh, and
0: you still do it? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I don't do it anymore, no. I, <laughs> I'd probably kill myself. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it either. I wasn't, like, you know, great at it. But I, I could do it, you yeah. know, to the best of my abilities. Uh, and I was always, like, the guy with the tapes as well. So I would record mixes on the radio and and give them to the guy who had the boombox. And uh, I I would stay up late night on weekends just listening to all the mix shows. I mean, a lot of DJs from my generation, the the way we got really interested in dance music and mixing and DJ culture was via mix shows that would happen late at night. You know, there were some popular ones that incorporated more like R&B, more commercial. Um, stuff, but if you waited long enough and and if you turned the dial just to the right, you know, Mm -hmm. local, uh, station, you would be rewarded with like a super underground mix. I mean, the, the reception wasn't very good, but you know, I recorded all of them. I studied them and, uh, obviously, um, DJ culture was a big part of like hip hop culture. So I didn't even own, you know, when I, when I learned how to DJ, I didn't even own, um, Uh, 1200 turntables. I I had like a a shitty cheap techniques, turntables with no pitch control. Um, And uh, I just slowly got more and more into it. And then I started playing house parties. So it started with me by recording mix shows, um, then gravitating towards playing house parties where I was playing on the, you know, somebody else was supplying the sound system Mm -hmm. and stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. So I learned actually how to mix by playing house parties and I was also doing school dances because I started oh. to get a, a local reputation yeah. I love that. yeah which was funny yeah so, <laughs> I've done weddings I've done like <laughs> I've done it all so
0: at this point were you were you studying or were you working did what were you like your first jobs before music became a career
1: I was like I wasn't really interested and I kind of checked out in school I wasn't mm-hmm interested in anything I was just kind of taking I was in school and taking classes because I felt like that's what you needed to do um and obviously you had the pressure of um doing something with your life that your parents were always reminding you about uh but I you know I, I you know more and more as each year went by I just kept being more of a daydreamer in class and um I uh you know, I, I would kind of check out during, um, school. I would be drawing, I would be like drawing and I was a very good artist as well, like illustrator. So I was like drawing record label covers and writing the credits.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot to be said about like, you know, achieving, obviously if you set your mind to it, you can achieve anything, but you really have to be a dreamer first. You got to like, dream you have to visualize yourself doing that thing that you want to be doing and the more you do that the more that becomes not such a far-fetched mm-hmm. um, goal uh, it becomes something really attainable and real so um, that's that's kind of what I did and then um, I remember getting a fake ID because uh, I got asked to play a nightclub and I wasn't old enough in the end they didn't card me. But I always carried that fake idea around just in case. Uh, And, you know, I started to develop like a reputation of playing really interesting, um, eclectic music uh, in the DC area. So
0: Okay, so then at what point did you realize that you were or you could make a career out of music and you just decided just to focus on that?
1: I remember we got asked by Simon, I was, we were like, doing the deep dish project mm-hmm. for years before we were able to quit our day jobs. Um, I think I was working in the mail room of some telecommunications testing company and Sharam was working at a, at a shoe store. <laughs> he was managing the shoe stores like his store. Uh, and we were working all day um, at our day jobs and, and then all night in the studio and, you know, certain, Projects really um, brought us more of a global audience. You know, we started to get known locally and then in like New York, Chicago, Detroit, L.A. Circles. And then with the DeLacy thing for Slip and Slide, which was a U.K. label, that brought like, you know, global attention. And then things just started to ramp up from there very, very quickly. And I remember I was still working at this company. Sharam was still Selling shoes, um, and Simon Dunmore had asked us to do a remix for uh, uh, Janet Jackson. Wow! When I think of you, and um, and we, you know, this was a big one. Janet Jackson, and Simon course. Dunmore was on fire. I mean, he's on fire again now. Yeah. He's, he's managed to you know buck all the tr- musical trends over the years and just kind of maintain, um, yeah, kind kind of carry the baton um, yeah. forward in a very respectful. In a way. And, um, so he asked us to do that remix. And I remember like it, it was going to take time away from work. And I was at that point where they weren't going to give me any more time away. And so I had a conversation with Sharam. He felt the same. He felt like he couldn't continue to, to run that store and, and do this. And then we had other requests coming in at the same time. Uh, but we really, we really wanted to make an impact with this one. So, I had a chat with my mom and she said, like, if you want to, if you feel like this, you're calling, then then go for it. Um, and, and I quit. And I never looked back.
0: And that's it. And here we yeah. are today. Can you remember <laughs> yeah, your first interviews?
1: First interview? No, I can't remember the first interview. There's been so many.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember. I don't remember the good or bad ones. The, the funny thing is now I'm on kind of yours on, on the interviewer's side, on your side of, of the coin, because mm-hmm. we started this DJs and beers thing last year. It's going to be like one year of doing this. And, uh, I've, I've become that person that I always, <laughs> I, you know, nobody likes doing interviews, you yeah. know? <laughs> I know, but some interviews can be quite Sorry. pleasant. You know, it's like once you get talking, uh, you're actually having a good time. And I can't tell you how many of us. Uh, once it gets going, it's like, and then the interviewer's like, okay, well, that's all I have. And you know, sometimes you're thinking, oh, you don't want to ask me any more questions. You <laughs> Are know?
0: you sure you want nothing else to yeah. ask? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, how has it been doing the DJs and beers? That was such a fun idea.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it was an interesting one. I mean, we, we were all seeking the comfort of friends. And maybe in some ways, like the comfort of strangers, um, we, you know, uh, DJs every week when we're playing, we're getting our egos stroked, you know, like our, our ego boosted, like, and all of a sudden all that stopped and we we needed, and that's why DJs, I think took up live streaming as well. It was like, you know. A lot of DJs started like interview, you know, Nick Van Pete Tong, you know, a lot of them picked that up because they, 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 they needed to have this kind of dialogue and conversation and, and they needed to have that audience again, that, that, you know, um, they, they weren't able to have like when they're, you know, whenever when all the gigs stopped. So I think maybe that's why it, for us, it was group therapy. We say it was group therapy. Um, Chris mentioned that David had done one, David Truncate, and David wanted to keep it going and asked Chris to be involved. And Chris was like, "Well, I think Ali would be great and Matt Radio Slave." And then they brought Drum Cell, so it's just a bunch of friends that got together, um, you know, for for, for a weekly therapy session. Yeah, and you know, the initial concept was just all of us talking and drinking together. Then. I- you know, we, we talked about, well, it might be fun to bring like guests on. And in the beginning we had the idea of like making the guest a surprise. So we wanted people to tune in to see who the surprise guest was. And, um, then we quickly realized that like, it's probably better if we're going to have more like industry people, like managers and agents and and people like that, people who aren't so well known. We don't want to kind of let people down, you know, um, People are tuning in and, you know, they think they're going to get, I don't know, Amelie Lenz, but we give them like some (laughs) manager or agent or something like that. So we figure, okay, might as well, like, let's just like, you know, we'll, we'll announce it and we'll promote it and people can decide to tune in or not. But, you know, it's, it's their, it's their decision and they know in advance who's on. So then, um, so then it just became, you know, uh, it got to a point right now where like I have people reaching out to me and the other guys do as well. Everyone's watching the show. A lot of our colleagues to go on. Everybody wants to go on. Yeah. Hey, can I be on your show? And like, and we have this, this interesting, um, you know, democratic way of, of choosing the guests. Like if even one person vetoes the idea, then we don't do it. I guess that's not so democratic. I don't know. Is well. that <laughs> autocratic? Yeah.
0: Which, which have been like your favorite episodes that you've done so far? Who have been good well, I guests? I
1: guess it's democratic because everyone has to agree, you yes. know, on, on the guests. Yeah. If there's one person so, yeah, that doesn't, then we do not do it. Yeah. yeah.
0: That makes sense.
1: Sorry. What was the question?
0: Who have been, who have been um, your favorite guests on the show? Like which have been the best episodes so far?
1: I think Danny Teneglia, you know, we, we, a lot of people obviously are expecting us to bring the more like high profile artists on, but we don't find that so interesting. So we're trying to find interesting people to talk to like Joey Beltram, who we had on, uh, recently I'd never met him. I think we played together once and maybe I said, hello. But he's such a, an iconic, mythical, legendary figure in our industries. He's always kept a low profile whatever. Um, I kind of wanted to meet him and get to know him. And that was um, an opportunity to do that. And now we're friends as a result of yeah. doing the show. So for me, on some levels, it's become like, who haven't I met that I've always looked up to or I'm interested by that we can bring on that I can get to know? Like, I never met Luke Slater. He's such a legendary um, figure in techno. I'd never met him. He came on the show and now we're friends. And he friends? asked me to, we uh, not best friends, but you know, he he asked me, it went beyond the show. It, like He asked me to, to remix a classic track of his and I did and he loved it. And so it established a, a, a connection, a new connection. And what we do, what we've always done, uh, the backbone of it is establishing some sort of um, connection with with either a a new friend or an audience or whatever so it's all about that
0: that's why I actually even started the podcast because there was I realized that there was just so many people in the industry that I didn't know I didn't know what their job consists of and and the same there was a lot of people that I kind of looked up to and thought how can I get to know these people and through the podcast it's been great because as you just said, it's just such a great way of connecting with people and, you know, chatting about things that you probably would never have the chance to chat to that person about ever. So I think that's one of the good things that have come out of the pandemic as well, that because everybody's been so online and had the time to be able to yeah. make these connections and talk to new people and and make new friends, it's been good.
1: Yeah. And I also think what motivated me was um, Tiga, who's a, a good friend of mine, is an incredible interviewer. I don't know if you've checked his podcast. No, I he's, haven't. He's such a natural; it would blow your mind. Really? Like, you know, there's some people that most people I say don't quit your day job. With Tiga, I'm like, yeah, hey, you might want to quit your day job and pursue <laughs> this. <laughs> you know, really, if, you could, if you could, if you can end up with like, if you can end up with like, I don't know how much Joe Rogan got for his like from Spotify, like a hundred and something million.
0: Yeah, yeah, crazy yeah, amount. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just by being yourself and talking to cool people and learning, you know, know. about interesting things like you know a dream job. Um, but you know, I think he piqued my interest, and um, that's another reason why I did. You know, we all kind of decided we wanted to keep this this going, and so uh, I've turned into interviewer. I, I you know, there's we have Frankie Bones on uh, tomorrow, and uh, I have to pull, I have to watch interviews. I have to, to read research. interviews. I got to do my research. I got to go to Discogs. I got to see what pseudonyms oh, yeah. they worked under, when they started, where were, they were born, uh, what their f- personal family background was like, and everything I don't know, I, I have to ask about. And everything I learned that was interesting, I also have to ask about. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. an art form.
0: It is. Yeah. And it's fun doing the research as well. What are some of your favorite podcasts to listen to? Do you listen to Joe Rogan a lot?
1: Uh, I listen to Joe Rogan. I listen to David Chang's one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's got a couple now. He's got the Recipe Club, which is kind of annoying. He's starting to get annoying because <laughs> when it was just him, initially it was just him, right? And it was really emotional. And now it's just him with the producer. I guess he feels more comfortable having his business partner and the producer of the show all on it together. It's, it's way more fun when you're a group, you yeah, know? Definitely. When it's a group chat, as opposed to you having to fill the air with your voice the entire yes. time, you know? <laughs> um so I like his uh I liked his. It's starting to get annoying now. Um uh, I like Sam Harris. Um I like uh Bob Left says Mm-hmm. There's uh, Michael Moore's doing one that's pretty cool. Uh, obviously, uh, I like uh, listening to Bill Maher's show as a as a podcast. Uh, Real time with Bill Maher. Um, but you
0: like listening to um, podcasts, yeah? Then.
1: I I was even before the pandemic. Uh, I found that listening to someone's voice, you know, like when you're on an airplane and you're kind of wired and you need to sleep, or you're you're on first and you're waiting for everyone to board and and there's all this chatter and noise and you know the annoying thing of everybody constantly walking by you whatever yeah it's just putting on a podcast kind of takes you away from all that and it always induces sleep for me so I can never get through a full podcast if I'm uh if I'm sitting there with my eyes closed listening whether it's in bed or or even if I'm like working around the house, when I'm listening to a podcast, I start to get really, really tired. It kind of relaxes. Yeah. Me. Yeah, There's some great sleep.
0: concepts of, of podcasts now. I listen to a podcast called Castaway and it's about other podcasts so they have different guests on and they talk about (laughs) what's your favourite podcast and it's really interesting Uh, because you find like loads of other podcasts that you probably would never have even found Yeah. and I was listening to one this morning with Joss Stone and she was talking about a podcast that she listens to called Um, things that you need to know. So basically, it's literally every episode are just really about really random things. So there's a whole podcast just. But but you, but
1: you should know them. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a whole podcast just about carrots and like all of like all of this data on the so much scientific knowledge of just about carrots and all of these random things. There's so much out there now. It's unbelievable. I absolutely love
1: it. Yeah, I don't know, like. uh, I guess it's, I don't know if it's a byproduct of the pandemic um, that like you have all this you can't even like put this in like the innovation. I mean, obviously you're going to have innovation, you know, from the biotech kind of sector and and governments are trying to innovate our way uh, out of this. But, you know, you have these interesting conversations that have sprouted up that are helping us cope you know, yeah. So I guess in some ways they they are in an in innovation over how, how it used to be with typical podcasts, you know. You're
0: going to end so, up doing a DJ's and beer podcast.
1: Well, we're actually, yeah, we're we're um, mastering all the old oh. shows because the plan is to launch the the podcast. Um, our one-year anniversary is at, at the end of this month. So our, our plan is to, like, launch the podcast. I can't
0: believe then. it's Cause a Because I think it's
1: more, more fun for people. Yeah, I can't believe it's been a year or two. I'm trying to not to think about it. Like no. A year off. Now I know I can take a year off. Anytime now you know. I need to. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. yeah.
0: If you look back now on your career so far, this is going to be a really tough question because I know that you have done so much and seen so much yeah. and lived so much. But what do you think is, is some of your favorite moments or periods in your career so far?
1: Yeah, you know, The things that kind of like the milestones that jump out at me... Was first getting like the global recognition with the the hideaway record for Slip and Slide in '95, meeting and becoming really close to Carl Craig and like Danny Teneglia, who just celebrated his 60th birthday. We're still close to this day. Uh, you know, meeting certain people in the industry like Madonna. I mean, it, it's funny because a lot of Madonna, uh, this conversation, actually, yeah, we actually
0: because I knew you yeah, it's, worked here, I didn't know you'd like actually properly
1: met her. Well, we did a remix. Um, Madonna's uh, manager's boyfriend, they had a child together, uh, Madonna's manager and the boyfriend. He was Ice-T's manager and Mm -hmm. he he became our manager shortly after we met Madonna. And the reason why we met Madonna is she asked us to remix uh, a song of hers called Music. And We did it and she loved it so much that um, I remember one day I was just back from tour and our lawyer texted me and Sharam and said, you know, you guys going to be available in the next 10 minutes. You're going to want to take this call. And we're like, what are you talking about? He's like, just just make yourself available. We're like, okay. So he calls in 10 minutes and, and he's like, guys, hang on a second. Okay. And then he switches back over and it's Madonna on the line. What? So is nuts. yeah, but Ma- yeah, Madonna's telling us how much she loves the the, the the mix and our sound and how she's embarking on a big world tour, but before she does the tour, she's going to do a small show at the Roseland Ballroom in New York for friends and fans mainly. A very very small intimate show and she's like I asked, you know, Everlast from House of Pain, he's going to come out cuz by then he had moved away from the hip hop thing Mm -hmm. and he was doing like him and with acoustic guitar and singing he's like you know my friend everlast is gonna is gonna be on and i want you guys to dj before i go on and we're like okay (laughs) okay um yeah and so she said you know and everything happened very quickly she said can you can you come to new york on on this day and we had a show in like acapulco mexico the day before And we knew it was going to be a late one and we're going to have to go straight to the airport to kind she wanted us to go and do rehearsals with her. She wanted to meet us and also find out what we were going to play. And this is how, and when I realized Madonna is like, like why Madonna is where she is because she's that in control of everything around her. She wanted to, time how long it took us to come on stage and play the first song and what the first song was going to be and what the last song she didn't care what we played in the middle she's like just tell me what song you're gonna play first and what song you're gonna play last and and let's watch you come out and we did it a few times and dolce and gabbana was there we met them um and we Uh stayed friends with her for yeah and that led to like donatella versace was there and that led to like donatella asking us to do uh, the music for her fashion show, so that was in, like another milestone. Um, working with Stevie Nicks, um, uh, which is a funny little story as well. Because, like, I was going out with a girl who was a vocalist, we were working on our second album, the Deep Second album, and she really wanted to sing on the album. And she said, Hey, you should cover uh, Fleetwood's Max Dreams, and I knew the song. And when she started singing it to me, I'm like, wow, your, your voice sounds really good with this song. And it started to trigger ideas. So I got her in the studio. I did the backing track. And it sounded amazing. I played it for Sharam. And Sharam's like, it's great. But like we have to let the vocalist who we have now for this album project sing it. So I had to go and tell my girlfriend at the time, thank you for bringing me your idea. Thank you for singing on it. We, we love it. But we're going to have to get the vocalist to re-sing it. <laughs> And so I was like, "Fuck! I'm gonna <laughs> kill Sharam," you know, for making me do this. Sleeping on the sofa. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so then you know, I couldn't, I couldn't let Sharam win with that one. So then I asked, um, without him knowing, I asked our lawyer, who's kind of like our de facto manager, I said, "Hey, maybe." And you know, the, the new version sounded great too. I'm like, "Could you send this to Fleetwood Mac or Stevie Nicks's people, whatever, uh, and see, you know, if they're." If Stevie's interested in, in doing the vocal herself and like within days, we got a, a response saying she absolutely loves it. And she absolutely wants to come into the studio with us. Wow. And so we flew to LA and we recorded and I can't remember the name of the studio that they recorded like their rumors album in. Um, and here I am less than a week later after we, we send it to him here. I am because I'm very good in the studio and working with, session musicians and stuff like that. So I'm like, you know, in in the control room and Stevie's in the vocal booth and I'm like coaching her how to re-sing her massive hit with for for us. And, and I just had to (laughs) pinch myself. Can you do that again? (laughs) Yeah, no, it was literally like that. And she was such a professional and she wanted to do such a, she wanted to do what we wanted her to do. Like it wasn't her, you know, um, trying to take control of, of that situation it was like I'm here to realize your vision I realize you're a fan and, and the song was what it was or whatever to, to everyone but now I'm here to do this for you and so she was open to every idea and that was like another really big crazy milestone
0: for me oh god See, so I knew that was gonna be a hard question because I was like "You're gonna have so many
1: I have a lot. I mean, Grindhouse was a big, like me going solo was a big one. I mean, even before that, I posted a recent picture of Puff Daddy, us and Puff Daddy when we worked on the one song. Yeah, And then we just spent like one night in Miami rolling with him and his crew to every single club to get every DJ friend of ours who was playing um, (laughs) at a party that night to play it. And we obviously... Uh the, the, the kicker was that we were coming into the booth with Diddy and then, you know, giving them the CD to play and they would play it right away. and Diddy was happy and we were happy and we, <sighs> we would stay for a few shots and then, you know, jump in the car and go to another co- uh, club. So, yeah.
0: Obviously, as everybody knows, you have a great passion for, for food. Um, Has that always been a big passion and love of yours since you were a child? Or is that something that has kind of happened just because you've been able to travel the world and try so many different flavors and cultures and meet new people?
1: Yeah, for sure, I wasn't a foodie until I started to to travel. Like, I wasn't that interested in in food. It was like, um, it it wasn't something, it was something I... uh, you know, my mom would say, okay, okay, it's time to eat. Or I would just eat really horrible processed foods, you know, cereals and things like that. I wasn't like really, um, peanut butter sandwiches and fish sticks and potato patties, you know, frozen, (laughs) like, (laughs) um, but it wasn't until like I started to travel, um, and I needed something more than, than what I was getting. Like I was, you know, we are we are in this cycle of like airport, hotel mm. um, uh, cl- room service, nightclub, then, you know, on repeat. And I felt like I needed more, like I needed to feel, to get a sense of where I was. Yeah. Uh, and And so for me, after a while, you know, once we started to really travel the globe consistently and go to a lot of places that we hadn't been to before also sampling the local, um, you know, the, the, the local alcohol. Um, we realized that that is a window into their culture and that did set us up for feeling a bit more grounded with where we were and the performance and everything. So that it started to become play more prominent role in my life, like where I was going to eat. And, um, then I started to really, I think it was the meal that I had in 2010 uh, at El Bully, which is now closed, which is one of the greatest restaurants uh, ever. It was that six and a half hour meal. And then I did it again the next year, the year they closed. Uh, I think your dog's hungry, by the way. <laughs> he is really
0: hungry. It's because you're talking yeah, about He's food. hearing us.
1: Yeah, we're talking about food. <laughs> um, and uh, And yeah, I think that, that really solidified my interest in it. And I started to meet a lot of chefs who I found out were fans of my music or just fans yeah. of dance music and appreciated the fact that I appreciated what they did as an art form. because after a while, it, be- it really became an art form, especially when, when you were able to remove like the old kind of French, you know, uh, stuffy, Pompous kind of, you know, aura yeah. and, and, you know, attitude with, with fine dining, fine dining became like a gastro pub kind of experience. And, um, a lot of those chefs on that scene, uh, became good friends. And, um, and so I learned also how to, how to cook well, because I think everybody needs to have those skills. It helped during the pandemic.
0: I was going to say yeah. it, but it helped during the pandemic. Whenever I watch Anthony Bourdain, I always think of you. <laughs> you always come to yeah. A mind. Yeah,
1: every everybody, you know, meeting Anthony Bourdain—that was another milestone. Like having <laughs> you dinner, met like
0: Anthony Bourdain.
1: Yeah, I, I, wow. Um, I surprised. I had we had some mutual chef friends, and uh, I surprised my ex ex girlfriend ex girlfriend. Um on Valentine's Day with a dinner at Le Bernardin in New York. And she thought we were just going, Le Bernardin uh, is Eric Ripert's restaurant. Eric Ripert was Anthony Bourdain's best friend. Yeah. He was unfortunately the one that found, um, you know, with, with the maid, Anthony, uh, in the hotel room, whatever, uh, which is a really, really sad story. Um, sad. but sad. Uh, but she thought, you know, we pulled up and she thought, oh my God, oh, Le Bernardin, amazing. Little did she know that it was like this dinner that Anthony Bourdain was hosting and so we go in she sees Anthony Bourdain he walks right up to us because I told I'd never met him I told my chef friend tell Anthony to look out for us and he came right up he's like "Ah, what's up you're Fred's friends nice to meet you yeah yeah and then he would bounce around from table to table and just sit and and chat and um we had a really funny photo with him and a lot of interesting conversations that night and that was yeah that was uh, another crazy Foodie nice. uh, milestone experience.
0: <laughs> That's incredible. Okay, to end, will you do a round of quick fire questions with me?
1: I'll try to I'll try to make them quick answers and not. Wrong. All
0: right, <laughs> they can be as long as we want if they're longer. But it doesn't matter. Okay. okay. Favorite city for food?
1: Uh, Tokyo.
0: Oh. the last thing you bought online?
1: A an uni company called Uni. It's an it's a outdoor pizza oven. <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> <laughs> that the, temperature, the temperature will get twice as hot as your typical home uh, oven temperature, which is what you need for pizza. So I'm really excited uh, to, to start cooking in that.
0: You're proper into this, aren't you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <Yes. sighs> Favourite studio snack?
1: Um, either Persian cucumbers, like sliced in half with salt, on on them or um uh these uh cheese puffs. Cheese puffs. For, very particular. Yeah, I think Barbara's cheese puffs. I'm I I grew up eating cheese puffs and pizza in the studio during sessions, like my whole life. And it was either pizza or cheese puffs. Uh, <laughs> and that's I think that's why yeah I'm I'm right back and then I worked You're in a pizzeria ahead. for years. I worked in a pizzeria for like four or five years when I was younger. Um, ah, yeah, my and then France, deep or? dish was named after yeah. It's like it's all. But was yeah. deep
0: dish actually named after pizza?
1: It was. It was because we were always ordering Domino's deep dish pan <laughs> pizza uh, when we were in the studio, but also because of deep house. It was, you know, Worked
0: perfectly. We
1: were synonymous with with deep deep house. I don't know if it was because the deep dish name. I think back then it was quite just like now over the past few years deep house became like a thing again you know it's evolved but um, yeah. it's kind of always been there yeah
0: Something you still haven't ticked off your bucket list
1: jumping out of uh, like skydiving it's something yeah. uh, I, I really want to do yeah At I want to do I want to do that in Dubai over Palm Island I know where right. I want to do it you and I was planning on doing it for my 50th but um, yeah maybe I'll do it then
0: does it make Some you nervous other time this, thinking yeah.
1: about it? Yeah, but, like, I love um, to push myself out of my comfort zone. Like, I love to be in situations that I'm being, like, tested somehow. Um, and I'm curious how I'm going to handle that situation. I know I'm going to be scared shitless. <gasps> but I, I kind of want to see what what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like morbid curiosity with like yeah, jumping out happens. of an airplane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Favorite hangover food:
1: Mexican with a michelada,
0: mm.
1: bombato. Yeah. yeah. Yes.
0: How many flights do you think you've missed in your life?
1: Very few. Um, nice. I would say less than. I would say maybe twenty.
0: That's good. Yeah. Not bad. I don't know why I thought you yeah. we were going to say more.
1: No, no, I, I'm quite professional. I mean, there was one time <laughs> I went to the wrong airport. I didn't really fully read the itinerary, and I never did that again. I've never gone to the wrong lesson learned. You only learn that lesson <laughs> once. <Yeah>. Yes.
0: <laughs> Some think you have too many of.
1: Uh, black uh, <laughs> shirts. <laughs>
0: A restaurant yeah. everyone should go to at least once in their life.
1: Um, Whoa, that's a good one. Um, like a, a specific restaurant.
0: Or, yeah, whatever comes to your mind.
1: God, I guess it's got to be one that's sort of an institution. Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> you stumped me <laughs> with the rapid fire. <laughs> I, I, you know, like, I think... I'm a big believer, especially nowadays, in, like, supporting local restaurants. Yes. So I I would say go to whatever is local and good to be able to support them, not only through this period of time, but, like, generally. It's very important. Yeah, go, go to your local coffee shop. Don't go to Starbucks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Best airport for layovers?
1: Um. Haneda or Narita or Singapore. I think those are my favorite.
0: Out of all of you out of all of your DJ friends, who is the biggest lightweight?
1: Lightweight in terms of
0: just guessing the quickest.
1: (laughs) Uh out of all my DJ friends. Um, that's another hard one. They're all quite Adept at, uh, yeah, at drinking copious amounts of alcohol and, and getting through the gig. I, I, I don't have any. It's it's usually my friends. All my <laughs> DJ friends are quite acclimated. Yeah, I guess. You know? They're
0: used to it. Yeah. What is the last thing that you Googled?
1: Something just the other day.
0: Something about sour bread for sure.
1: No, it was pickled ginger. <laughs> I wanted to make my own. I started to I, it was yesterday I started to do it because I had this all this ginger and then I I read a few different recipes and they all call, called for like two pounds of ginger. I'm like, well, two pounds it's of ginger pass. I don't have that much ginger. <laughs> yeah I'm like I just you know I have like a big a big stock <laughs> well, not even a bit of I had a big stock but you need two pounds of ginger sliced thin with all this other stuff to make pickled ginger. But uh, that's the last thing I Google.
0: And the final question, because the podcast is called Can You Put <clears throat> Me On Guest List? Do you have a guest list rule?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, like, I have all the time friends asking me for guest list. Don't tell me the day of, mm-hmm. or, like, the night of, you know, two hours before I'm due to play, or when I'm en route to, like, the the venue don't tell me then uh and um don't give me like a ton of names you know you plus one you plus one a couple days before i'm not even asking for like a week before nobody knows what they're gonna do next week um they kind of make the plan i realize they make the plan maybe that they wake up and they're like hey, tonight i want to do this yeah. Uh, but don't tell me, you know, after you've had your dinner and you're, you're a little drunk. I'm thinking coming down tonight, can you feel me? <laughs> Especially if it's a festival. I have friends that like say, ah, can you put me on? And they don't realize like, you know. But it's
0: not that easy. What it, what
1: it takes. It's not that yeah. easy for a festival. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And when you
1: tell them no, they sound disappointed. And I, and I just want to like stop everything I'm doing, pick up the phone <laughs> and kind of school them on, you know. <gasps> Yeah. yeah, I think this this should be on that podcast. Like everything that that you know. What was the podcast called? Like where they they oh,
0: te- um, the teach things you about that
1: you should know things that you should know. Yeah,
0: how to guess ask list, for list. Guest list
1: etiquette. Yeah, guest list etiquette. I think DJ etiquette should be on on yeah, that. Yeah, it well. should.
0: It should. We yeah. should message them. Joe so I was thinking about doing, yeah. but I've asked this question, this guest list rule question, to everyone that has been on the podcast so far. I think I've done like 53 episodes or something so far. And I was like, I'm going to, when I've done like 100, I'm going to get everybody's answers together and do like a little booklet and put it together and publish it somewhere. <laughs>
1: this is Wow, you've done 53 of these.
0: Yes, I have.
1: That's crazy. So who's the most interesting, now let me turn the tables. Who's oh. the most interesting person that you, that you interviewed? Who was, uh. okay, let's, let's start with this. Who was the first person? You interviewed because I haven't listened to the shows.
0: (laughs) The first person I I interviewed was um, Rob from Lock and Load Events. They used to do they're a promoter. They used to do a lot of events in uh, Amnesia, uh, but for a night called Together. He was my first. um, He was my first one, and I I had this tight, this shitty little recorder that I stuck in the middle of the room, and it's so echoing. It sounds awful, but he was my first one. And the most interesting one, oh, God, that's a really who was. Who was the
1: last interview that you did before me?
0: Anna once?
1: Anna once, okay. so Hannah Wants. Hannah Wants, Okay.
0: So from locked
1: and Load to Hannah once, and in between, who was the who was the most interesting? Like that you, or like the the one that was the the, the that you really struggled with to get them to talk, to say anything <laughs> beyond like yes or no, because <laughs> those are the worst interviews too when. They don't have anything to say. But You know, there's like a wealth of knowledge and experience in there yeah. somewhere, and you got to crack that shell and get them comfortable and talking. And everything you try uh, doesn't yeah, work. It happens. Yeah. Do you know yeah. who
0: Nick Yates is? Yeah. So I had an it chief.
1: Yeah. chief, yeah, and it was kind of the
0: opposite though. It wasn't that I couldn't get words out of him. It was just I couldn't make him stop.
1: Yeah, yeah, chief, chief is yeah. I mean he's he's uh, calls yeah. everyone chief. Everyone's a chief.
0: Everyone's a chief. Uh, he was fun. And
1: uh, Yeah, he's he's the best.
0: Yeah, yeah he was great. he was he was fun though. He he we had a he, we had quite a good laugh. Um and then another fun one that I really enjoyed was with Eats Everything because he just had so many great and many great stories from when he was younger. He's fantastic up. too. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. He was good yeah. to interview. I did one with Jesse Rose as well, and that was really, really uh interesting. That yeah. was more Jesse interesting.
1: was my ex manager. He was my yeah, ex creative really? manager for two for two years. For two years, yeah. 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 Well
0: that's what it was all Jesse about. Jesse and I are really, really close. Yeah. It was when he just started um, the agency. What, um, OCA, yeah. It OCA. OCA. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: So that was a good one, too. I don't know. I've had, I've had quite a few favorites. This one, as well, has been Ooh. one of my favorites so far.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear it.
0: <laughs> oh, well, I won't keep you much. All right. I'm going to feed you. Don't worry. I'm going to feed yeah. you now. Yeah, um, someone's hungry. <laughs>
1: somebody is
0: hungry. Thank you so much for your time. I hope I get to Pleasure. see you soon someone. Yeah.
1: Where are you now? Are you still in Barcelona? or I mean, I think uh, Ah, really? Nice. I was actually there for, I had a good friend of mine who sold his half of the company to his business partner, uh, left Barcelona and moved to a villa in Ibiza and is so happy like unbelievably happy. And it's like a three bedroom house that he's renting that he he wants to buy. And, and he's like, you know, whenever you would come to Ibiza, you have a room here. So I went just before Christmas for a couple of days and we had a great time. And I went back, um, for new year's and I stayed a week and we just Aww. barbecued every day. And we have views of Es Esfedra, And it was just like magical to be on the Island without all the, mm. you know, all the parties and riffraff and,
0: so different, And it was isn't it? quite
1: peaceful. Yeah. It was my first time. The only, um, in the past, I was only there during the, the season and for weddings like in October, but beyond October, uh, and before like May, end of May, I was never in Ibiza. And so being there over new years was just like a, a really interesting experience.
0: Do you know, I just thought the last person I didn't interview on my podcast wasn't Hannah once. It was um, Moolinex. Do you know who that is?
1: Moolinex.
0: Moolinex. Yeah. he runs he has a label called Disco Texas. and basically he used to he w- used to study um, astronomy. And then, but also had like a, a uh, was all has also been really passionate about music, and now mixes like his studies with um, production. And he was oh. so interesting to talk to. He's a guy from yeah Lisbon, yeah.
1: Should probably should probably connect him and Jeff Mills because Jeff Mills is very much into
0: maybe I should <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: alien worlds and yeah. the universe and all that stuff <laughs>
0: absolutely yeah. all, right, all right Ali thank you so right. so much for uh, for spending some time with me and take care enjoy your time your family you enjoy your sourdough yep. think of a name don't abandon him think of something yeah.
1: Yeah, please, uh, your, your your listeners, please, they can submit the names to you and you can, Sub- you know, Will pass them on to me and, and yeah, we'll do something with the winner. We'll, we'll have to Let's do, do something interesting. All right, thanks, Thank Katie. Bye. Good, good seeing you again. Good bye seeing bye. You. Bye-bye. Take bye, care. Bye.